0: Good evening, everybody. How are you doing? Nice wave, Jason. Looking good. Um, my name's Josh, if you've not met before. Um, can you, anyone here recap what have we looked at so far in our series? First week. Wonderful. Second week. Women in leadership. Third week. Huh? Brilliant. Yeah. And finally, what is our finale? Wonderful. Well done. And so, yeah, so we've had a great time, haven't we? Spending time looking at topics that we probably would like to explore a little bit more. So who's excited for the end of the world? Yes. Right. So when it comes to the end times or the last days, the posh word is eschatology, if you want to show off. When it comes to this topic, it's really important that all of us in this room know what we believe. And the reason for that is, what you believe about the end, the last days, eschatology, it will actually impact the way that you live your life every single day. Yeah? So, for example, maybe you think, I don't know, the world's just going to kind of explode and we're going to get raptured and taken away. That doesn't give us much motivation to make the world a good place, does it? It's going to, you know, be rubbish anyway. However, if like we've been singing tonight, we're called to bring the kingdom and and, and make the world like heaven, It, it really will change the way we live our lives Amen. Cool. So some questions for us to begin our table talk for you to discuss around your table. Are you ready? Give me some drum roll. That's rubbish drum roll. What comes to your mind when you think about the end times? And second question, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future what should we be and why? Go. Give you a couple of minutes. Okay, that's really good. I have an interesting slide. And if you ask me what I spent my time on this week, it's this next slide. So um, a lot of transitions. Are you ready? So generally, um, theologians divide this end times, last things into free categories often. There are more, but who has time right now? I don't. First one is premillennialism. Has anyone heard of this? Yes. So, this can be divided into two types. Historic, dispensationalist, we don't have time. To summarise, a dispensationalist pre would look at the world today, Israel, political figures, and they would read the scriptures and say, oh, that's talking about this person, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, so kind of like a conspiracy theorist person, right? Think of that, yeah? So, why does it say pre-millennial? In Revelation chapter 20, this is what everyone's talking about on this slide, it talks about a thousand-year reign, of the church. Yeah? Perfect, peaceful time of the church. Premillennial. It means Jesus will come before this 1,000 years. Does that make sense? Wonderful. So, look at the cross death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. This is a premillennialist point of view. There's the rapture. Has everyone heard of the rapture? Yes, Christians taken away. You're in an aeroplane. Taken away. Hopefully not flying it. Unless you've seen the film Left Behind and obviously the books. Terrible film. Nicholas's cage, not his best moment. So rapture of Christians. We're taken out of this world to be with Jesus. Then there's a tribulation. Some people have mentioned the world's gonna get bad, yeah. The world will get bad, really 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 bad. Terrible things are going to happen. Then the church is going to return with Jesus, the second coming. Okay? Then there's going to be this 1000-year perfect reign on earth. Then there's final judgment. Does that make sense? Good. Now, here's the next point of view. Post Millennialism. I would want to just say a caveat here about premillennialism. As King's Church, we would never label ourselves and say, we're this, we're that. But we would have concerns about some of these teachings, and I'll show you why. Firstly, some of them are not grounded in scripture. A lot of the verses are cherry-picked really out of context, and we'll look at that. What What we would, as a church, have a lot of sympathy for is the next two categories. And we've been actually singing about it tonight in our songs. If you look at the lyrics, it's important what we sing. Post millennial. So, when will Jesus come? After the 1,000 year reign. In a post millennial point of view, their understanding of Revelation, there is no rapture, there is no tribulation, there's only a second, there's a thousand year reign that happens on earth of the church before Jesus comes. Right? So the uh, theologians disagree about what this looks like. Is it a literal thousand year reign? Is it the church getting better and better and better? And then finally they usher in the end? Anyway, however it pans out, it leads to the second coming of Christ and final judgment. Right? And then there's the uh, millennialism. So, basically, it's a symbolic. 1,000 years is just a symbolic number. doesn't really mean anything significant. There isn't a tribulation. Things will always be bad and good. Anyway, Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be a judgment. But they are the, the general groups, basically, the general categories. So what do you think about when you think about the end of the world? Here's some pictures. Maybe you think of this, right? The world will explode, implode, whatever. It's going to be horrible and bad. Maybe you think of this, yeah? Yes, he's happy or he's happy. The ultimate match, right? Evil versus good. It's all climax into this moment. Sorry if you've not seen it. I didn't spoil it. How long is it until it's not a spoiler anyway? By the way, the Titanic sinks. If you've not seen it, spoiler alert, it sinks. Maybe you think of this, right? Uh, Someone in the street, the end is nigh, holding up a sign. Someone mentioned the trumpet call, right? A heralder, someone with a bell, heralding. Does anyone remember Y2K? I was nine in the year 2000. Alistair was three, so he probably doesn't have that memory, but I can remember it. I can remember people thinking at the turn of the millennium, All computers will break, right? Credit cards, things will stop working. There'll be skirmishes over food. It'll be really, really terrible. People were really paranoid. that, And people stopped buying houses. Massive decline in house buyers. Millions of people thought the world, something's going to happen at the turn of the millennium. Does anyone remember the Mayan calendar coming to an end? 2012, right? They made a film about it. 20th of December 2012 the world's going to end this is a scene from that time so maybe you think of this as well rapture May 21st 2011 the Bible guarantees it (laughs) it guarantees it how on earth did we get here how did we get here How did we get in this pessimistic, obsessed of the world, about to end? How how did we get here? Why is that guy sat there saying rapture? Well, a little bit of a history lesson. For a really long time, I would say three, four hundred years from the Enlightenment till the 1900s, the world um, was actually getting better. What I mean by that is people were really positive, positive. People actually thought the world was getting better. There was human progression, inventions. People were really anticipating, what will we invent next? That The world was really positive, And Christians are really positive. The world was getting better. It wasn't getting worse. People weren't thinking, when's it going to end? They were thinking, what are we going to invent next? Now, then the last century happened. And the 1900s, what happened? We had two world wars, we had a holocaust, we had mass genocides, we had the rise and fall of totalitarian dictatorships, we had the invention of nuclear weapons. And, And all of this made a world, getting better, look like fantasy. Imagine growing up in that environment. And look at us today, you know, we, you could say that we live in a world of fear, don't we? We've got terrorism, extremism, we've got climate change, climatisation, and we've got the memory of the past 100 years, which was pretty bad. All of a sudden, when we think about the future, we're not so optimistic, are we? Maybe things are getting worse. Maybe there's a reason for that. We're going to look at some scripture. Before we do, I want to remind us of a really important point all of us should do before we read our Bibles, and that's this. Remember that the word of God was God's word to other people before it became God's word to us. Okay? God didn't use the first hearers of the word just to get a message to us. Right? Does that make sense? The scriptures were written to specific people at specific times for a specific reason. You weren't the reason the Bible was written, believe it or not. Primarily, it was written to a specific group of people. And we have to always re- remember that and be aware of that. When you read your scriptures, realize it's written in a historical environment, okay? And it will stop all the predicting things. So, if you want to go to Mark chapter 13, but I'm going to skip a few verses. But if you want to grab your Bible to check I'm not making stuff up or skipping over dodgy verses, then you can do that. This is one of the passages. You remember the three things we looked at? Pre-millennial, post-millennialism, our millennium. This next passage and two others in the Gospels. This is where people get their viewpoint. Okay, I'm going to let you decide. Chapter 13, what does it say? Jesus was leaving the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. So, um, if you didn't know, the Jewish uh, temple in Jerusalem was one of the most beautiful buildings in um, the ancient world. It was ginormous, okay? Some of it was gold-plated, and when the sun would shine on it, you couldn't even look at it. It would blind you. We're talking an epic, fantastic, wonderful building. Think of your famous building, your most popular, the one that's really true and dear to your heart. Whatever that is, maybe it's the Hilton, I don't know. Well, times it by a million, all right? It doesn't compare to this temple. This was awesome. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, look how great it is. Next verse. This is what Jesus says. He ruins it. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. What's he saying? It's going to get destroyed, right? Right? They were just saying how great it was, and Jesus ruins the moment. Now, history, okay? AD 70, significant date. Why? The temple was destroyed. Okay? Romans came to Jerusalem, crucified thousands of Jews, AD 70, and destroyed the temple. And not one stone was left on another. Completely destroyed. And that's why they're a little bit shocked, because they know Jesus, they know he's God's son, and they know that he's he's a prophet, so he's probably going to be spot on. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? What things? It's a question to us, what things? When will the temple be destroyed? When will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? So in their minds, the destruction of the temple means the end of the age. We know Jesus's death ended an age and his resurrection began a new one. So they're talking about the temple being destroyed. Keep that in your mind. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. And these are the beginning of birth pains. What's he talking about? The destruction of the temple. That's what he's talking about. So um, I've put verse 9 to 23, more bad things, and and it really is. We don't have time to read it. But at one point, Jesus says, when all these bad things are happening, run away. Now, if Jesus was talking about the end of the world, running away isn't very good advice, is it? Yeah, you can't run away from the end of the world. Jesus is saying, listen, when that temple is going to get destroyed, don't be near it. Run away and you will survive. So, bad things happen. And then, verse 23. But in those days, following that distress, now he quotes Isaiah 13 the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So, um, people have taken this verse. Pre millennial dispensationalists and said, okay, when the end of the world happens, stars are going to fall from the sky and the moon will be darkened. Sorry, the sun will be darkened, literally. That's not going to happen. How do I know? Because Isaiah used this to describe the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the sun didn't get dark and stars didn't fall from the sky. But how can you describe the fall of one of the most huge, massivist empires? I know. It'll be like, say, the sun gets dark and stars fall from the sky. That's how bad it's going to be. He's using metaphor, isn't he, in poetic language. Realise that when you read this type of literature, Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Revelation, it's a type of literature which we don't take literally. We don't read it literally. They're using metaphors. Jesus did it all the time, didn't he? Pluck out your eye. Right? Hate your mother and father. He's not saying, look out your eye and hate your mother and father. He's saying it will be almost like this. I'm making a point here. Verse 26, and this is kind of like the, the crux for a lot of people. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, a lot of people assume that this is Jesus talking about Jesus' return. It could be. I'm not saying it isn't. However, he's quoting Daniel 7. And Daniel 7 says, At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Keep reading it in Daniel 7. To be presented to the Father in heaven. So, it might not be talking about Jesus coming to earth, but rather Jesus being presented to the Father in heaven. That might be a point of view. I'm not too bothered. If you keep reading, 28, there's a lesson of the fig tree. Now, 29, look at this. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near, right at the door. Verse 30 Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. What's a generation? 40 years, right? Jesus, if you add 40 years onto him speaking, it's about 70 AD, around about that date. What's Jesus saying? He's saying to his disciples who are in their teenage years probably, he's saying these things are going to happen in your generation. Everything I've just said in this chapter is going to happen in your generation. Question mark. So, um, it's important again, I want to say, and I'm really glad Alistair said it, it's not biblical. And the reason for that is, prior to 1800s, no church, no denomination, nowhere on the face of the earth taught the rapture. It actually began in 1820 in Scotland. As a young lady, she had a dream about being taken away into heaven by Jesus. She told her pastor, a guy called John Darby, and he loved it. He went to America, a guy called D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody made it absolutely huge in America. And then you, you will know from there we have Tim LaHaye and his Left Behind series books, the film. But this is really important there was a Bible called the Schofield Reference Bible. Now, if you've heard of that, it's a significant Bible because it was the first Bible to put headings in the Bible. Okay, so if your Bible's got headings, the reason is because this guy thought it would be a good idea. So he goes to Mark 13, and he puts a heading in Mark 13, and it says, Jesus predicts the rapture. And so if you say to people, the rapture's not in the Bible, they go, well, look, it says on my heading here, Jesus predicts the rapture. So he says it in my Bible. It's a heading, okay? It's not the text, so what scriptures do people point at for the rapture so there's there's four key ones: first thessalonians four fifteen to seventeen says something about Jesus coming on the clouds, and you will meet him, and there'll be a trumpet call, right? and we will be with him. Does that sound familiar? He's not, so Paul isn't talking about Jesus coming and taking us away. Paul's using a metaphor which is very common to his day, and that's this. If a king left the city, okay, on his return, what would happen? The king would stand outside the city, and people in the city would go and meet the king and blow a trumpet to signal the return of the king to the city. Now, the king and the people who have met the king, where are they going to go next? Back into the city. They're going to bring him back into the city. He's not going to take them out of it. He's going to bring them back into it. And so that's the point Paul's making. We will meet Christ, but he's going to bring the kingdom in all its fullness to earth. He's not going to take us away. That's not what it says. Some more verses. These are parallels. So we've read Mark 13 and these are all parallels. But I want to just jump to Matthew 24 because this is another verse people read. What's it say? This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. Are you familiar with this scripture? Yeah? One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, One will be taken and the other left. Left behind, that's where we get it from. Please read the verses before. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. Who was left behind in the Noah story? Okay, so the idea is actually the righteous are left. The unrighteous are taken away. And that indicates judgment. Then Jesus says, and this will be like it when they're coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. The unrighteous will be taken away. The righteous will be left. It's good to be left behind. <laughs> it's good to be here and left behind. Because when Christ returns, the unrighteous will be taken away. And the righteous will remain. What about the book of Revelation? Wonderful question. Revelation is a highly symbolic book. The word Revelation, apocalypsis, just means an unveiling or revealing. If you were to write an apocalypsis, so like Daniel, Ezekiel, these books are apocalypse. It's not a gospel. It's not a letter. It's another genre entirely. It's something we read differently. That means when you read in Revelation, it's a strange book, I know. But when you read about beasts and swords coming out of mouths, not read it literally. So, Revelation is not a code book, right? To try and figure out a timeline to the end times. But its prime purpose, you read it, the first couple of chapters, it's to encourage seven specific churches in the early church to resist the Roman Empire, who John, who wrote Revelation, calls it the beast. right? And to help them through their own time of tribulation, their own trials. And we know from history that they were being persecuted pretty badly. Um, and, and, and so what about 666? Or 616, according to early manuscripts, it's translated in Hebrew as Nero Caesar Beast. That's what it means. Nero Caesar Beast. Caesar Nero is the beast. That's how we understand it. It's not a political figure. You can say what you want about Donald Trump, okay? He's not the Antichrist. By the way, the word Antichrist doesn't appear in the book of Revelation. It's not in the book of Revelation at all. Read it, you won't find it. It's in 1 John and a couple of Gospels, it's not in Revelation. Now, um, please go on YouTube, Bible Project, for more helpful resources and understanding Revelation. I want us to look at another question in the last moments that we have together, and that's this. How can we respond to our culture of pessimism? What hope can we offer? We, we, our only hope is in Jesus and his return. Not in a timeline, not in a prediction of a date, not in a rapture, not being taken away, but in a person. And because we know that, we can help people in the present, right? Finally, when we think of last things, okay, the end... The goal of creation, we must think renewal and restoration, not destruction. The last few chapters in Revelation read it. It doesn't say, oh, by the way, and then Jesus came, took everyone out of the earth and destroyed it. It actually talks about Jesus coming down and, and renewing the earth and renewing heaven. Okay, He's renewing creation. He's not destroying it. He's making it new again. We have to keep that in mind. We have to stop thinking, that. so it's called dualistic thinking, that our bodies and everything earthly is bad and and everything heavenly and spiritual is good. That's not true. That's not biblical, right? God made our bodies. They're good. They're spiritual. God loves the earth. It's good. Okay. And so we can't have a dualistic thinking. Heaven and earth were never meant to be diametrically opposed. They're meant to be brought close together. Heaven's good. Earth's good. Bodies are good. It's all good. the The goal of it is, it, the goal of being a Christian. Okay, the goal of being a Christian is not to die and go to heaven. It isn't. It's to bring God's goodness and heaven to earth. That's the goal. I love this scripture. Good scripture. This isn't it. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there and the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be his glorious body. God loves bodies so much, he's going to give you a new one. Transfiguration of Jesus is just a prefiguration of what will happen to us. Our citizenship is in heaven. What on earth does that mean? Does it mean that one day we'll go to heaven? No, it doesn't. Why? Why? The Philippians lived in Philippi, but they were Roman citizens. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that one day they'll go and live in Rome. It means that their job is to bring the Roman Empire and culture to Philippi. Likewise, if you live in Manchester, okay, and you're a Roman citizen, your job is to bring the Roman culture and Roman way of life to Manchester. Likewise, if your citizenship is in heaven, it doesn't mean you're going to go there. It means that you're going to bring the culture and reign of heaven to where you live. That is what Paul is talking about. It's the other way around.